Hello, and welcome back to Moving Right Along, a Muppet Movie Podcast, brought to you by ToughPigs.com. This is the podcast where we watch the Muppet Movie two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Ryan Rowe. I'm your other host, Anthony Strand. And we're very happy to have today's extremely special guest with us. Introduce yourself, guest. I'm uh, Will Harris. I'm a freelance pop culture writer for the AV Club, Vanity Fair, Variety, etc., etc. Many, many outlets that keep me very, very busy. Yeah, lots of good stuff. And on a Muppet-related note, uh, we should mention you wrote uh, a couple of years ago, you wrote a review of the Prince episode of Muppets Tonight for the AV Club. Absolutely, yeah. In, in conjunction with his uh, passing, it was a good opportunity to pay homage to that episode, which was pretty fantastic. Yeah, one of the best episodes of Muppets Tonight, I think. Definitely. And uh, today we're not watching Muppets Tonight. Today we're watching <laughs> minutes 81 and 82 of the Muppet movie in which Kermit comes face-to-face with Doc Hopper and tries to reason with him to no avail, and the clip ends with an earthquake. But we don't know why there's an earthquake. You'll have to wait till next week to find out. I appreciate getting the cliffhanger ending. Yeah, it's kind of exciting that it worked out that way. We've had a few of those along the way. So we pick up with Kermit facing off against Doc Hopper and his goons in the middle of the street in the ghost town. Uh, we get the rest of this shot from last week, this this great shot of Kermit's uh, little frog feet in the cowboy boots looking at the, this line of goons. Felt like they might as well be playing the theme from uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yeah, exactly. All, all of which would be appropriate adjectives for the scene. <laughs> right. <laughs> true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's a quintessential Western thing. So uh, Kermit says, all right, Hopper. Hopper says, all right, frog. You gonna do my TV commercials live or stuffed? And we've talked about Hopper going increasingly off the rails in this movie. And at this point, the whole reason that he was interested in Kermit in the first place was so that he could have a singing, dancing, talking frog in his commercials. But now it's like he's just gonna kill this frog and have a dead stuffed frog in his commercials. So it's it's not even. It's become about something else to Hopper. He's he just wants to prove a point or whatever it is. I don't know, and I and I don't know why Hopper doesn't just use a puppet. I've heard that puppets are very effective in TV commercials. That's what I was going to say. Is that it's like this very chilling image that he's going to use a taxidermied Kermit, but is he going to perform him like a puppet? Like is is that the plan? Is for Doc Hopper to operate Kermit like a hand puppet? The whole thing is all very disconcerting. It's like having the dancing pig as the logo for a barbecue joint. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess it would be like if if it was a real <laughs> a real dead dancing pig. Yeah, it's very very creepy to think about. Yeah. It's very it's, odd. Yeah. So there's Kermit. He looks so small and helpless, uh uh standing against all these goons with various uh firearms. But Kermit will not be alone for very long. He starts his little speech here. Uh, He says, Hopper, what's the matter with you? You got to be crazy chasing me halfway across the country. Why are you doing this to me? And again, this is a very reasonable question. (laughs) Why Why is it so important to Hopper to have this frog in his commercials? There's clearly some psychological damage from childhood there. Well, and I, I think we find out about that psychological damage in the next line. When he says, all my life, I've wanted to own a thousand frog legs restaurants. Like, yeah. 
imagine a little baby, you know, eight-year-old Doc Hopper planning out his frog leg fast food empire. Right. Or so. It's such a strange dream. Right. Well, so, but it's interesting because the next line is where Kermit says he has a dream too, but Doc Hopper doesn't actually use the word dream. Maybe I'm, I'm scrutinizing this a little bit too much, but it seems more like maybe Doc Hopper is uh, in it for the money or I don't know. This whole thing with Kermit has been set up where he's this noble figure who wants to entertain people who wants to make millions of people happy but it doc hopper it doesn't seem like the same kind of dream i, I actually had written down the phrase competing dreams but the more i think about it it's kerman's got the dream and hopper's got the obsession oh yeah that's a good way to put it yeah yeah obsession's a great word for it um i will say though I, it's such a like if all he wants is money frog legs is such a specific thing like the first time we <laughs> In this movie, he's looking through binoculars at Kermit's dancing legs. So, like, how long has he been doing this? How long has he been looking for a singing, dancing frog to be in his TV commercials if he's wanted to own a thousand frog leg restaurants? Yeah, we don't know how many he has now. We just saw one that was under construction earlier in the movie, but we don't know what stage in in Hopper's... uh, business uh career he is right how much at some point in the writing process there was a discussion about the uh doc hopper origin story that just got cut eventually (laughs) yeah (laughs) like how every like how every movie now has like willy wonka's dad was a dentist or whatever yeah i was just gonna say i don't feel like i ever need to see doc hopper's actual origin story on screen but his father could have been played by henry kissinger (laughs) okay yeah okay if they can get henry kissinger to play doc hopper's father in some kind of right now you're saying yes exactly yes he is still alive as of this recording correct correct yes correct so that would be the only acceptable way in my opinion for them to do a doc hopper origin story oh i love you so much (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes but uh yeah yeah too many of those origin stories uh, but I, I i was gonna say you know somebody had to be uh, i don't know like i don't know how common like fast food fried chicken was before colonel sanders came up with kentucky fried chicken so you know there are pioneers in every every what genre of food so maybe uh you know maybe Doc Hopper could have been the guy to bring frog legs to the mainstream. Yeah, not, you never know. Not if he's going to kill Kermit, he couldn't. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's so. here's where Kermit says, I've got a dream too, but it's about singing and dancing and making people happy. That's the kind of dream that gets better the more people you share it with. And well, I found a whole bunch of friends who have the same dream, and it kind of makes us like a family. It's a great moment, and it's, it's the kind of, like, if I'm... Remembering right, this speech was included in the Muppets Celebrate Jim Henson special that yeah, yep. that aired a, a few months after Jim Henson died. And it's one of these things where you realize, like, oh, this is Kermit talking, but really this is also Jim Henson talking. Yeah. Well, it's it's. I think it's the Muppets' core philosophy. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a mission statement more than anything. Yeah. Right? Of- I mean, if it... 
if this is sort of approximately how the Muppets got together, this is one of the changes to like to show us that right from the very beginning, this was all we wanted to do. And now we're doing it every week on the Muppet show. Yeah. And it's, it's a mission statement for these characters, the Muppets who put on a show. And it's also the mission statement for all of the performers and writers and all the various artists who worked on the Muppets. Absolutely. Uh, and then as Kermit is saying these words, there's this great shot where the camera moves around to reveal that all of Kermit's friends are now standing behind him. They have left the bus, which Kermit asked them not to do. Yes. And they are all standing around him, sharing his dream. Yes. While, while a wistful version of Rainbow Connection plays. Yeah, yeah, all in solidarity with the frog. Yeah. I feel like that could easily be too much, that like Kermit is giving this speech and his signature song is playing in the background. But it just hits me right where I live. I just think it's the perfect balance of like almost schmaltzy, but actually just sweet. And I, I think it's, I, I don't, I don't know why it works as well as it does. I actually wrote down heartfelt, almost schmaltzy. <laughs> there you go. So almost is a key word. Yeah, it, it's a little schmaltzy, but I, so I'm thinking like if they made this movie today, that music cue would probably be a lot less subtle the the music would be louder and it would be like I, I feel like it would be kind of demanding that we have an emotional response to it yeah so, yeah it's relatively subtle i think that's why it works and it's also arguably they're being uh, preparing for the subversiveness a few lines later where uh they do the exact opposite of what you think he's going to do yeah yeah so yeah we'll get to that um yeah. Uh, this shot of all the Muppets standing there together uh, in that issue of American Cinematographer that came out around the time of this movie. Uh, cinematographer Isidore Mankowski talked about this a little bit. He said, uh, there were a number of times when we were working outdoors where we had to dig big holes for the Muppeteers to hide in. For example, on the western street of the Columbia lot, we had to dig a large hole and put 14 or 15 Muppet operators in it, cover them with plywood, cover the plywood with sand, and cut holes just large enough for their arms to get through. I'm glad none of them suffer from claustrophobia. <laughs> oh, man, I wish there was a photograph of that. <laughs> of the inside? <laughs> yeah, of just like all those guys crouched down there. I guess it'd be hard to take a photo. But, I, I yeah. think there's one, but it, it, I'll, I'll have to look and I'll include it. Uh, in the the website post for this, if I can find it, but it's it doesn't quite get across how claustrophobic that must have been. But yeah, yeah, I I know there's a I know I've seen a picture of Jerry Nelson. I think it is like just like sitting on this set with Floyd with no shirt on. <laughs> yeah, but I can't remember uh, any other sh behind the scenes shots from this set that I've seen. Yeah, you know, I'm it must have gotten pretty hot on some of these shooting days. Yeah. Although then you wonder, like, if they're taking their shirts off, I hope they put them back on for the actual takes because th that many people so close together getting sweaty. Whoa. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty gross. <laughs> and now everyone is thinking about that. You're welcome. Yes. Um, something else I wanted to mention about this shot or, or related to this shot. Um, so I sent you guys this an image of this thing. There was a series of jigsaw puzzles made by Milton Bradley of scenes from this movie. And there's one 
of this scene with Kermit wearing the hat and boots and the gang standing behind him. So did you look at this picture that I sent you? Mm-hmm. I looked at it, yeah. Did you notice anything out of the ordinary? Uh, Scooter looks like he's about to tip over. Uh, he <laughs> does, actually. And Oh, you know what? Now that you say that, I think you can kind of see the hole behind Scooter's legs. But that wasn't even what I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah, you can. So <laughs> the other thing, if you look between Fozzie and Kermit, like between their legs, Gonzo is lying there like face down as if he's falling down into the dirt. Oh, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. It doesn't seem like this was a, a shot that was supposed to make it to the stage where it would be used for a jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gonzo looks dead. Yeah, exactly. Like the puppeteer was resting his arm or there's maybe no puppeteer in there at all. But yeah, <laughs> I guess nobody noticed before they said, yep, good. Make it, you know, print it. Yeah, so check that one out on the website, folks. It's really yeah, I'll, I'll include that yeah. picture or a link to it. And I believe, if, if memory serves, that that was pointed out to us uh, a while back on the Tough Pigs Forum by our friend Grant, who was on this podcast just last week. That's right, yeah. So if, that, you. Was you, if that was you, Grant, thanks for pointing that out. So uh, Kermit goes on to say... So he's talking about his friends. He goes on to say, who are your friends, Doc? Those guys... Hopper calls uh, over to Max and says, I got lots of friends. Max, for instance. No, looks... no, no. Hopper says, I got lots of friends. Lots of friends. How, how many is lots of? I, I don't know. You need to you need to translate that into Doc Hopper's Southern talk. I don't know. <laughs> right. A whole lot. From the South, if, if anyone's going to know, it's it's not me. You guys will be the ones. Oh, yeah, true. You have you have some other word for it up North. Yeah, in North, in North Dakota, we say, I got a whole bunch. <laughs> got a whole bunch of friends, yeah? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. So, uh, Hopper calls Max over. He says, I got lots, I got lots of friends. Max, for instance. Max just sadly shakes his head and, and looks away. And we've been talking about how Doc Hopper is this obsessive guy. He's trying to kill Kermit. He's definitely a bad guy. But there's just something about that moment that's so heartbreaking. Yeah, it was harsh. I, I was kind of <laughs> kind of staggered by it. I didn't really remember it being like that. Yeah, like Doc Hopper really has no idea that nobody that nobody likes him. He's just an employee. Right. Yeah, well, although I do find it interesting that, like, obviously Max has this arc through the movie where he is becoming less and less of Doc Hopper's stooge. But, like, I had forgotten that even here, he doesn't actually stand up to him. He just... <laughs> He just doesn't look at him. He won't. He doesn't like. He won't say a word against him. Still, can't. That's true. And he's not trying to talk him out of it. Right. He's just. He just won't make eye contact and doesn't say anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Kermit says he doesn't think Doc is a bad man. He thinks Doc can find it in his heart to let them go. But he says if that's not the kind of man you are, go ahead and kill me. It's amazing to me that Kermit is willing to die for his belief that like friendship and love and joy and singing and dancing and making people happy. He, he believes in these principles so strongly that he says, if you don't like if Doc Hopper, if you cannot get behind all of that, I'm willing to die for the cause. Like, like make me a martyr. Right. It's, I, it's really that, that or he is so naive that he believes that there's no possible way that Doc Hopper would do it. 
Yeah, yeah. see, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> that, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Is So we're surprised when Doc Hopper thinks about it just for a second and then tells his guys to kill Kermit. But I think maybe Kermit was just kind of assuming like, oh yeah, I'll talk about friendship and the dream and making people happy. And he's he's got to see it my way. So I, I think Kermit was probably, is probably as surprised as we are that Hopper uh, is not won over by that speech. It was definitely a subversive moment for a kid's movie. Yeah. Well, and I don't know, like I know Care Bears didn't exist yet when this came out, but I'm sure there were other things in children's entertainment where it's like, you know, just friendship and love and that'll win over the bad guys and save the day. Unless they're played by Charles Durning. <laughs> yes, not this time. <laughs> um, and in fact, uh, there's, um, I have a, an excerpt from the Jim Henson biography by Brian, Brian J. Jones about um, this moment. Uh, it says, at one point... Jim Henson and Frank Oz had gotten into a slight dust-up regarding the Muppet movie villain, a smarmy Colonel Sanders wannabe named Doc Hopper. Jim was convinced that deep down Hopper wasn't a bad guy and that somewhere along the way Hopper should be redeemed. Even the most worldly of our characters is innocent, Jim had once said. Our villains are innocent, really, and it's that innocence, I think, that is our connection to the audience. While that was likely true in most cases... Oz, who was nearly as cynical as Jim was idealistic, didn't take long to consider his response. I'll, I'll censor this later. <laughs> Frank Oz is quoted as saying, Bull and Hopper would remain unredeemed. <laughs> it tells you a lot about uh, the character Doc Hopper, and it tells you a lot about Jim Henson and Frank Oz. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. <laughs> but it got me thinking. There, so there aren't a lot of villains in the Muppet world anyway. But are there actually any villains who, who, who get redeemed in the end? Like, I'm thinking Nikki Holiday and the Great Muppet Caper gets arrested. And, uh, like, in some of the earlier stuff, Tamanella from the Frog Prince, she, I don't even, she gets turned into a bird or something. Well, There's well, really do no... We, I mean, do we, do we consider Ebenezer Scrooge to be a villain? Um, I don't know, because he's essentially the protagonist of that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Right. An anti-hero, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if there actually are any villains from the the Jim era, anyway, who got redeemed like that. But that might just be because there aren't that many villains anyway. But do we count, like, Junior Gorg? On well, yeah, Rock? see, I guess that might be... But And then that's the whole point of Fraggle Rock, is that no one is actually a villain. Everyone is redeemable, and everyone is, has, is a sympathetic character. Right. Regal Rock is great. Yeah, although, uh, what, what's the guy's, uh, Wander McMooch? I remember reading about how the writers, uh, the Fraggle Rock writers kind of argued over that character, because he's essentially just a villain. He's a villain. <laughs> he's a villain through and through. He was actually redeemed in well, The Christmas Carol, where he goes to Nephew Fred's Christmas party. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if, if he's really the same character there. Uh, no, he's not. And this but, is probably this is probably enough Wander McMooch talk. But in your <laughs> shared Wander McMooch universe, he could be. <laughs> My mind was just blown. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, yeah. So everyone is, is uh, very surprised that Hopper uh, tells his guys to shoot, and then that's when the earthquake starts, and 
Uh, we don't know what's going on. The Muppets don't know what's going on. The goons don't know what's going on. And as I said, we'll have to wait till next week to find out what's happening. Um, so that's actually all I have for the, the actual content of these minutes. Did you guys uh, have anything else? Um, well, actually, uh, I although I've never actually interviewed him myself, Austin Pendleton uh, did a random roles interview for the AV Club. And uh, I don't know if you've, if you've ever talked about him as an actor in the film or not. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like when, when Max first showed up and, we, you know, we went over some of his credits and things like that. Yeah. Well, it was an interesting story uh, in there in particular about him and Charles Durning that uh, I guess they had both done Fiddler on the Roof together and uh, then knew each other from that and therefore had a friendship on the Muppet movie. And he, uh, I'll quote directly from it, he says, uh, I was, uh, we were just through with the Muppet movie on my way back to New York. I called Charlie from the airport and said, I love working with you. I don't know how I would have gotten through that movie without you. Just hanging out with him really pulled it together for me. He said, well, we can hang out some more because I'm just about to go to New York and do a film. Uh, it turned out to be uh, Alan uh, J. Packard was starting over with Burt Reynolds, and he got him an audition for the film. They ended up working together on that. Huh. So Doc Hopper might be a villain, but Charles Durning apparently is a really nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. Or Great. <laughs> well, and they were in um, they were in Billy Wilder's remake of The Front Page together Absolutely. as well. Hmm. It's nice to think of uh, those two as buddies in real life. Exactly. Yeah. Ironic, really. <laughs> yeah, a little yeah. bit. <laughs> They're really not buddies in this. Yeah, because Max, Max is not Doc Hopper's friend. Right, there you go. Uh, anything, did you have anything else, Anthony? Um, I, I just wanted to say it's interesting to me that Doc Hopper starts this scene looking the most intimidating that we've ever seen him. He has those little sunglasses on. He's wearing his hat. He has his whole group of, you know, behind him. And as this two, these two minutes go on, he just kind of – all those elements get stripped away and he looks sadder and more pathetic as it goes along. Right. He, he loses the sunglasses. Then he loses the hat. He has that weird, mm. funny hair going on. It's a tight <laughs> close on him. So we don't see his goons. And it just seems like he's getting smaller and smaller as this scene goes on. Yeah. Is this the first time we've seen him not wearing his hat? I don't remember. I believe it is. It's certainly the, the most uh, meaningful moment of him not wearing the hat anyway, because he's clearly going right. I mean, we've we've seen him wearing a giant frog costume, so <laughs> right. technically not wearing his hat there. Yeah, I like to think it's under the costume somewhere. Oh man, I, I hope so. I <laughs> so hope so. He's wearing the hat inside the frog. Absolutely. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past him. Uh, my only other uh, note specifically about these minutes is that Kermit's speech to Doc Hopper was ranked number 13 on toughpigs.com's list of top 60 Kermit moments. I'll buy that. Yeah, it's a good one. So uh, if there's nothing else about this specific clip, uh, Will, usually we like to ask our guests uh, about their history with this movie. Do you remember the first time you saw it? Um, how do you rank it among all the Muppet movies? I do remember the first time I saw it because it was a rare time when uh, our whole family went to see a film. Uh, we saw it at, in the theater when, during the original run, uh, so 1980, I guess, right? 79. Uh, 79. It was right on the cusp there, I think. Yeah. I we saw it when it first came out or if it came back or whatever. But uh, it was Military Circle Mall in Norfolk, Virginia, I know that. And uh, it's, it's always been my favorite of the bunch, uh, just the sentimental attachment to it. It's going to keep that with me forever, probably, is number one. But, uh, the, sure. Rainbow Connection will make me tear up at the drop of the hat. 
Yeah, there's definitely something to either the one you saw first or the one you saw most as a kid. I think that tends to to move them up in people's, uh, you know, the way people rank them. Yeah, and it also introduced me to Paul Williams, who I I know I'd seen on the show, but it really kind of brought it home that oh, he actually writes these songs too. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, he had been writing pop songs and then to go from that to writing these movie songs for a bunch of singing frogs and pigs and bears uh it's an interesting trajectory it is but talk about great songs oh yeah all, all good stuff we've we've praised these songs a lot on this podcast <laughs> oh, yeah so on that note listeners please check out toughpigs.com on the internet as well as tough pigs on facebook twitter and various other places you can find me on Twitter at me Ryan Rowe, and Anthony is on Twitter at Zeppo Marxist. And Will, where can people find you on the internet? I am on the AV Club a fair amount. Uh, I've been on uh, Vanity Fair and uh, Variety's websites relatively recently. I do a lot of the random roles for the AV Club, and I've got one coming up with uh, Jonathan Price that's uh, going to be a really good read. Ooh, oh my yeah. god! So I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> those those random roles are some of the best things on that website. They're so great. And if, if I can plug one other piece of yours that I adored, the oral history of Cop Rock <laughs> is a heck of a read. So every, everybody should go check that out if they have any interest at all in oddball TV shows. I'll also throw out there that I did an oral history of Airplane that has been, been acclaimed by Zucker Abrams and Zucker. So, uh, oh, all three. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's great. And, and thank you very much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Like As you can tell, I've been up a fan for many years, so it was nice to have a legitimate excuse to revisit it and call it work. Yeah, yeah, it's always good. <laughs> always good to have an excuse. So, uh, fans, uh, if you have a minute, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or whatever it's called, and tell all your friends about the show. And we will see you next week for another episode of Moving Right Along. Bye! I got lots of friends. Lots of friends.